Top of the day, everyone. This is Hot Garbage, True Crime Edition. I'm your host, Nisha, and this is my beautiful best friend and co-host. Who's badass. I have been waiting for this episode that we're going to do today, because last week I told you guys we have a special guest, and I'm so excited to be able to call her my friend, mm-hmm. because she's actually been helping me as well in my own career. So, basically, like, she's amazing. Her yes, name, yes. yes, her name is Donna Michelle Ramos, and she is actually from New York. She has, she has a, a, a AA in social science and a BA in government. She's a mother of two. She's a grandmother of seven. She's a great grandmother of two. And she actually writes, you know, historical, multicultural romance novels. And she wrote a crime novel, which we're going to talk about today. I'm so excited about that. She really is like. And she has also been on Essence, Essence Magazine bestseller list and okay. blackbookplus.com. So she's awesome. And then on top of that, right now, she's working on the Cressley series, which is kind of like Bridgerton, but I think it's going to be better. And I'm not just saying that just because she's my friend. I feel like it's going to be better. You think I, it's going to be? I mean, damn, <laughs> she just got a whole uh, accomplishments list over here, man. Yeah. Like, name five more things right now. Oh, I'm about to. She, in 2017, she was the author of the year by Write On Awards for Literary Excellence. And she does speaking engagements, writing workshops, and school career days, too. Okay, now she's like a superhero. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! So everybody, please welcome to Hot Garbage, Donna Michelle Ramos. Hi, Donna. Hi, Nisha. Thank you. How everybody? Oh. Thank you for coming on. Hi, Nisha. Hi, Blue Badass. And hi, everybody else. Yay. Hey, girl. Thank you. Well, (laughs) the reason that we're here today is you actually wrote a book. And it's it's amazing because I actually read the first one. It's going to be a four-part series. I read the first one. And for those of you guys that love true crime or love, you know, crime uh, novels, I would definitely recommend this book. It's called Absorption. And, you know, this this is really that's, interesting. That already sounds interesting. Yeah, it's super interesting. And I like it because it's really out of the genre that you usually write in, you know? Yeah. So I commend you for that. So I want to know, like, what made you want to write a novel about crime? Because obviously there's romance in here, but it's mostly like crime. So what made you want to write a, you know, a novel about crime? Well, the, the thing is, at the time, uh, my, uh, my boyfriend and my writing partner and business partner uh, at the time, uh, we noticed how our writing styles were so similar. Mm-hmm. And I could write a page, and he could write a page. You could put the pages together, and it flew. You know, it flowed. You couldn't tell that it was two different people writing it. And so then we were like, "Well, we need to write something together." So he has a military background. He's an ex-marine. Uh, you know, ex cops so you know his mind is already into the crime or you know things with weapons and all of that so he had a, a idea for this special kind of bullet and um, I said well you write the part and I will write the romance part so we just teamed up together it's nothing I, I ever would have done on my own but mm-hmm. you know uh, we did it together. I think it came out pretty good. People seem to like the series. There's three books out. The fourth one still needs to be finished so that the series can be finished. But mm-hmm. so far, people like uh, it. Uh, it takes place in four different cities uh, mm-hmm. in Las Vegas. And then um, the next book picks up 
in Miami, and then it, it jumps from Miami, the third book of the New York, and then the last, fourth book uh, ends up in Los Angeles. I'm really excited because when we were in New York, you actually showed me like a lot of the places that you that inspired you, you know, to write it. You actually sat in one of the train stations. So when I get to the New York one, then I'll be able to actually like visualize where the people are. So I thought that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you have a bird's eye view of everything that went down. It is a huge change scene in New York, but bird's eye view of where everything took place. Yeah, I think that it's amazing that you, because I actually wanted to write, you know, a crime novel, and it's it's actually really hard to, like, get it together or to even jump out of your genre, you know? So that's really amazing. <clears throat> and so that's why I wanted to ask, like, what was your process, like, when you wrote this? I know you wrote it, like, with your, you know, boyfriend, but did you guys, like, do an outline, you know, and was it hard for you to take your brain out of the romance and, trans, you know, transition into the violence aspect of it? Um, actually, we didn't. We don't we didn't do an outline. I, I don't really do outlines that much because my brain doesn't work like that. I'm not that orderly. Like stuff just comes to me, and I scribble stuff down. And I have like eight million pieces of paper. I put them in a folder, and then when I'm ready to work on that particular book, I go ahead and you know work on it and do it. But um, it's um, it's um, we. I mean, like I said, he told me his idea. I said, well, I couldn't do the romance part of it. And then he wound up, um, you know, we wound up just going back and forth with things. And it's funny because we were in two different cities when we were writing it because we were long distance. Yeah. So, he, you know, we used to be on the phone forever, you know. And, you know, he'd read me what he'd written and I'd tell him, oh, I could add this, this, and that. And then we'd give each other assignments. You need to fix the part of the chase in some way. And then I'll finish the part of the chase scene and part. And then we just would email, you know, all of everything that we wrote back and forth to each other. And then he would put everything together. So his name was Brooklyn Born. Mm-hmm. And um, like I said, we wrote the, uh, the Absorption series together. Oh, well, that's, I think that's, you know, that's amazing. And I was going to ask, because that brought me into what I was going to ask, too. Like, sometimes it's hard to have a co-writer. I've personally never had a co-writer before. And I was wondering, was there anything that you guys ever kind of disagreed on? Or you're like, no, I don't want to do that. But then he did. Like, was it hard? Or did it just flow naturally? The first book flowed very well. The second book um, got a little sticky because I, um, like I said, I, I had... The New York part, I actually wrote a lot of it when I was in New York because mm-hmm. I used to visit locations and visualize it. And then, you know, I did a lot of work. And honestly, when I sent it to him, he cut a lot of what I gave him out, which I was like livid about. Yeah. So we went back and forth about it. And then, you know, um, you know, more of it got put in. But I held on to everything because I said, if I ever do anything else with this, I'm still putting all of this in and thinking of something like when it goes to the screen, what have you. There's a lot more that wasn't in the book mm-hmm. that on the screen when this finally does make it to the big or the little screen. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's some, that's some fighting actions right there. If I do all that work and then it gets cut, like you cut it all out. Oh heck no. Yeah. He cut a lot of it out and, or oh, I wrote stuff a certain way and he twisted it another way. And you know, by the fourth, by the third book, we had broke up. But we were still working together, you know, because we had this series of things and stuff. And so, there, I mean, basically, 
I hardly had any input on the third book. Hardly. I mean, even though my name's on it, I just hardly had any input on it whatsoever. And, uh, you know, like I said, that's just how stuff goes. It was like, well, you know what? If he writes it and it's good, I'm not going to worry about it. That's what's on my plate because I was also working on two of my own books. So in the third book, I mean, the fourth book, I guess I'll have to get that cranked out because, um, nothing has come, you know, he hasn't sent me anything yet, so I guess I'll have to get started on that and kind of give him a little nudge so we can finish the series off. Yeah. Yeah, I never had a co-writer before. I never would have thought of co-writing, but at the time, it went, the beginning of it went very well. Mm -hmm. The end, not so much. Yeah. So, you know, whatever. Well, I was going to say, like, based on your experience and everything, would you ever consider having a co-writer again? Or are you kind of like, you want to be a lone ranger going forward? I, I mean, I I like to write on my own. However, I, I you know, I don't like to rule it out. Um, I would never, I would never write with my man again. I'll tell you that. <laughs> because the jawbreak on this stuff is kind of like, you know, he's going to feel in some type of way. And then, you know, he doesn't want to cooperate with stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we know how uh, these men are. It's the relationship part, not the man part. No, I said I looked at Buddha and I said, you know how you men are. You men can be pretty petty. Am I right, Buddha? No, she said it's the man part, the relationship part, not the man part. You can work with a man, it's not a relationship. <laughs> Yeah. And you can't open a book and start reading and then all of a sudden, you know, you turn the page and you're like, wait a minute, this doesn't match. Yeah. So if you don't have the same writer style, you can't write with the person, no matter how much you like them, would like to collaborate with them. Yeah. Because it is very easy, it's very telling when you start reading. It's not cohesive. Yeah, I remember us having that conversation because remember, I, I wanted to write a book with you. I was like, we should collaborate together. Please, please, please. And you was like, we don't have the same writing style. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, it just would not, you know. Yeah. People would be able to look at it immediately and say, you know, the book is, is you know, dirty. It doesn't flow. It's like, it's here and then it jumps to here. And yeah. It's like, you know, and people are very, very um, sensitive to that. You know, mm -hmm. Flowing. Yeah, now I know like what you're talking about because from reading absorption, it flows so perfectly. Like I didn't even know until you had told me which part you wrote and which part he yeah. wrote that, yeah. you know what I mean? It seemed like one person wrote the book. It's right. amazing. Right. Yeah, it's like we were sharing a brain. It was it was a very um it was very odd because I it, very symbiotic. I was very really surprised because I like I read his books and I was like, Oh my goodness, you know, this sound like something I would write, you know? Yeah. And then he felt the same, and, and then we said, well, maybe we should give it a try, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, they come out like, I mean, there's certain part, parts in here, if I read them, I don't know who wrote them. Yeah. Me or no, one of us wrote, yeah, I don't know, but yeah. That's awesome. Well, I was going to ask because I love the character KJ and you know, I, I see a lot like of myself and I know a lot of women that read your book can see a lot of themselves in her as far as being headstrong and career based was KJ like based on yourself and you know, or does she have a lot of similarities to somebody else? And like, how did you kind of go by developing her? Well, uh, KJ, 
KJ, whose name is Kelly Joyce, um, actually wasn't based on me. I just, like, this is going to be a strong black woman, and she's going to, like, not take no mess from nobody. Having worked as a civilian manager for a police department for 14 years, I know exactly how police departments work. I know the chain of command, and I know all the male chauvinism that still goes on. And I also know all of the racial prejudice that still goes on. And I wanted to make sure that KJ dealt with it. Like, mm-hmm. she's not take it lying down. Like, if you're coming for me, yeah. get ready, because I'm, I'm coming right back for you. you know, I'm not going to stand here and take it. I don't care that you're, you know, uh, my um, boss. I don't care, because I demand to have respect. If I treat you with respect, you will treat me likewise. And if you don't, I don't care who you are. You're going to hear about it from me. I'm not going to take this, you know, lying down. Oh, yeah. So, that's my favorite thing know. about her because she'll laugh off even to like her boss. She's not scared of anybody. No, no, no. She is not scared. And you so kind of have to be like that. around her scared. Yeah. <laughs> go at it. But she was like, I don't care. He's a jerk. Yeah. I'm not, no, I'm I'm not checking for him, and I'm not doing this with him. Not today. Yeah, and especially like in the police department, that's a male-dominated field, so you do have no, to go no. in and just yeah, you and have to go in and go in. Military, and so even though there's a lot of women there, you still have a lot of men that still have that mentality that women shouldn't be there. Yeah, yeah. Women what do you think, not, Buddha? Should they not be there? They definitely should not hold any rank. Yeah. Because they don't want to take orders from a female, and they definitely don't want to take orders from a female that has a rank higher than them, and that is not white. Well, you know, real things that go on to this day and age. And I wanted to make sure that KJ was not, you know, signing off for none of that. You know? Well, I think that it's funny because talking about like Buddha, because it's funny uh, that brought me up because uh, uh, Buddha and I, we actually met at our old job. And I was like, well, thank goodness, like Buddha is not that kind of man because I was actually, I wasn't his direct supervisor, but I was a supervisor. And sometimes I would have to give him orders. And I think he took the orders pretty good. What do you think, Buddha? Do you have a problem taking orders from women? Um, no, but I was raised in a majority single household, um, single mother household. And I saw a woman do a lot of things on her own and yeah. have a lot of competency on her own. So I have a lot of respect and um, belief that women are equally as competent as men. In some ways, a lot of ways they do so they can do things better. See, I think that all men should have that kind of mindset because then that would solve this whole problem, huh? Yeah, and a lot of them do. But like I said, when you're in something yeah. that paramilitary such as the, uh, any kind of armed forces, mm-hmm. any kind, anything in law enforcement. So sheriffs, uh, correction officer, uh, police, marshals, anything like that is that whole, it's a whole different mindset. Yeah. That these people have, that these men have, especially the ones that are in charge. Mm-hmm. Higher up you go, the 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 harder it is to change the mindset because they've been there a long time. They're setting their ways and they're not changing. And they may have to deal with all the changes, but they don't like them. Yeah, and they will let you know every chance they get. They don't like them and they don't feel you're that equal. And they, and they really, I'll give you an example. I was a civilian supervisor for a police facility, and so 
was the highest ranked civilian in that building. Mm-hmm. In terms of the amount of authority and power I had as a civilian, I was equal to the lieutenant. Mm-hmm. So sergeants did not like that. Because mm-hmm. basically I had more power and authority than them. Mm-hmm. Officers didn't like that. Yeah. Because I'm a female, I'm a woman of color, and I'm not even sworn. I'm a civilian. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So I had like three strikes against me. And there were so many times sergeants wanted things done. They would go directly to the captain or the lieutenant. The first thing they would say to them is, did you ask Donna? No. I'm coming to you. I got to go to her. Well, because Donna is equivalent to lieutenant here. She's in charge of everything in here. That's not that's not sworn. You go to her. If she cannot help you with what you want, then you go to your lieutenant. And then if he can't help you, it'll come to me. And you are not to come straight to me. You need to follow the chain of command. And like it or not, she's part of the chain of command. They couldn't stand that. Yeah. They could not stand that. And they used to try to go around me all the time. And I used to laugh because bottom line was they would wind up having to come back to me anyway. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I, you didn't talk to Donna. Don't even come in here. That's funny. Well, that kind of br- that brought up a question but that that's I... The mind, that's the mindset. Yeah. I say that to tell you the mindset. I did that for 14 years. You know, man. Well, that, well, I know because I know you tell me a lot of stories from when you were working at the police department, and that brought me to like a question I just thought of. What was like the craziest case that you saw, or the most horrible case that you saw working at the police department? True crime kind of case. Oh wow, um, there's so many things. Um, oh, I, oh, Dorothy Pointe. I guess that was the worst me ever. Oh, yeah, she's on the list. We're going to do her. She was a doozy. Oh, my gosh. She was the worst ever because for years she was taking these poor men in and acting like she was their friend. Mm-hmm. She was killing them and had one of the other boarders burying them in the backyard. She did it for years and she would still collect their social security checks. Yeah. Oh, mm. my gosh. That was wild. For years and they were digging up bodies for them. Days. And if you look at her, she just looks like a sweet old grandma. Like yeah. Wow. She looks like you weigh all of 80 pounds. Yeah. You know, she got this little gray hair. She bent over. She wears glasses. But that woman was the devil walking. She really was. That's why. Devil I'm and I was like, I'm going to go into it when we do our case. But that's why when they were actually digging up bodies in our yard, she asked one of the cops, like, hey, can I just go grab some coffee? And he let her go. And she ran. I was like, because she just looks like a grandma. They let her go get coffee while you're digging up bodies. I thought that was hilarious. That is awesome. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Little she, ladies can get away with anything. unbelievable to, to, you know, that, like I said, when you looked at her, when I finally saw what she looked like, I was like, y'all got to be kidding me. Yeah. like. Donna, don't let that face fool you. That woman is evil. And then I started reading the reports, and I was like, oh, my goodness. And she was very, she was diabolical, because what she would do was she would only take in boarders who fit her criteria. Yeah. So she would only take you in as a boarder, if you could wind up being her victim. Yeah. If you couldn't be her victim, she told you she didn't have room. Yeah. But anybody that was vulnerable could be her victim. And to be her, to be her victim, you would have to be an older man mm-hmm. you're on social security 
you will have to have no family. Yeah. Like zero. So that way, when she kill you and bury you, nobody comes looking for you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that worked for her for years. She plotted that out. Yes, she did. That lady <laughs> can look at her. You can't go by looks. Because mm-hmm. that lady killed you, bury you. And like you say, super coffee. Like what? Yeah. Matt. Oh, man, unbelievable. Well, getting back to your book, Absorption, um, my favorite part of this, because we always do stupidest part of the crime. Buddha hates it, but I love it. <laughs> and I feel like this serial killer, I wouldn't even be able to say stupidest part of the crime because he thought of everything. I mean, these bullets is my favorite part because these are a different kind of bullets that nobody would have thought of. And it's they won't get you caught up as fast. Like, I don't want to go too much into it because it's like, you know, I don't want to kill the story. But these bullets are bullets unlike any other bullets. And I was like, this killer is just, he must have my mindset. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> I will say, one thing I say about the bullets, they were totally untraceable. Yeah, they were untraceable. You know, mm. there was nothing around, no shell cases, nothing that people could take it and run through ballistics and say it's a match with it's gun yep. crime totally untraceable so how did so you that, guys that's what i will say about the absorption bullet so how did you guys get the idea for bullets like that because i know it's like a like sci-fi did you guys do like a lot of research or like that did... was all brooklyn he yeah. came up with the idea of these absorption bullets wow and, um i was like oh my goodness that is crazy it is i don't know how he got that idea in his head Mm. i don't know but that is why the series is called absorption and then it's absorption and then whatever city is sent so absorption vegas absorption miami absorption new york and absorption la yeah I was like, man, I was like, you know what? When I kill somebody, <laughs> if I ever kill somebody, I'm using those bullets. Where do you, by the way, where do you get those from? Can you get those off of Amazon or where do you get them from? <laughs> well, he made them. Yeah. He made them. So you also have to know a lot about chemistry. So. Oh, dang. Well, I guess we're out, right, Buddha? We wouldn't be able to use those bullets. I had to pay for it. That's all. <laughs> Well, do you, I know that, well, you kind of already answered this because you're planning on writing part four of this book, but do you ever plan on writing another crime novel besides Absorption? You know, I don't know because it's not my wheelhouse, um, but I like, I don't, I never say no. I like to try anything. If I think it's going to be exciting or if it's going to challenge me, I'll, I'll do it. So um, this one came out really well. We're both very happy with it, and the readers like it. We have gotten really good reviews on it. Mm-hmm. So that um, I, who knows down the road, you know, once I start my uh, TV scripts, you know, they tell me to come up with one, I will come up with one. Heck but yeah! Right now, no time soon. No, I don't see that happening. Cause it's not my wheelhouse, and the amount of research and stuff I would have to do is just things. Yeah, when it was in his wheelhouse, so. You know, it wasn't hard for him. Well, I was wondering because, you know, obviously, you know, KJ, the main character, she goes through the death of her partner, Ramon. And he, I was so sad about that. But I was like, you know, it was a horrible thing. But I was like, do you think that this made her character stronger or weaker because of it? Um, well, like they say, if it don't kill you, it make you stronger. So, I, I mean, obviously, everybody, when somebody they're very close to died, they you know, crumble, but it's a thing of picking yourself back up and putting yourself back together and you know 
a lot of times, if some, someone is taken from you in that manner, it gives you a purpose. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Definitely purpose driven. Yeah, definitely. And I was happy to see that, you know, she kind of, you know, moved on, took a little vacation, found a little bit of love. That was awesome. Yeah. Well, I was wondering, do you, uh, this is um, a big one, because I was wondering, you know, being a cop or really being anything, you know, in that kind of field, mental health kind of goes hand in hand with it. So I was like, how long for you do you think is a reasonable enough time to take off after a tragedy like that happens? Well, I mean, everybody's different. So, everybody's different. It depends on how close you are to the person. Mm -hmm. So many things. And then when someone is taken in a tragic way, it's unexpected. So, that's a whole nother trauma you got to deal with. So, you know, it's not, I mean, when you lose anybody, it's it's horrible. Yeah. If somebody's sick and you know that they're not going to recover... You're kind of semi-prepared. Yeah. But you're talking to somebody and 10 minutes later they're gone. You know, that's very traumatic. Mm-hmm. It's shocking. It's very sudden. And, and so there's a whole lot more of steps you got to work through to get over it yeah so much that happened you know yeah it so. is and i even thought about like and now i'm thinking about not even just in that field just period overall like yeah. sometimes the yeah. amount of time that they give people i don't think three days is enough especially if it's someone close like how do you go back to work kind of after that you know yeah i can't Yeah. You, you have to take care of yourself. Self care. Mm-hmm. If you feel like you can't uh, be back for you know uh, a month, then you take a month. Yeah. You know, and if you have to take it without pay, you take it without pay because your mental health is more important than these bills you gotta pay. Right. Absolutely. You don't get paid, you get over it. But you know, you don't rush back to work and have a nervous breakdown because. Guess what? Now you're really going to be out of work for a long time. Right. I agree. You have to get yourself together and do, you know, whatever you got to do so you can be healthy mentally and emotionally. So it just all depends, you know. Plus, you know, and then a lot of times people have to be made to take the time off. Because they can realize how bad they need it. Yeah. So, which was her case, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Before taking that time off. But she was ordered to take it off. She didn't have a choice. Yeah. Well, Buddha, do you have any questions for Donna Michelle Ramos? Because we're about to, she's about to read us a snippet of her book, and I'm excited. Uh, no, I'm excited to find out about any of this. This is the first time experience for me. Yeah, and this is great because Buddha's wife is actually like an avid reader, and I forgot what what genre does your wife read in? I forgot. Multi genres, but right now she's doing the RPG genres. But she is a person that does. She goes through series and likes book series and reads really quickly. So she can be through uh, four books in a matter of a week. Yeah, that's amazing. And they have this thing on the Kindle where it's like, I guess on the Kindle, it's like a little contest they do. I didn't even know about it. Only avid readers know about it. But you said there's like a little contest they do where they, um, every single day that you read, and she was like, what, a thousand days in or something like that? It was crazy. It was, it's days as well as how many books read per year. And she had the goal of like, this year is going to be like 260 books read a year. Wow. Year. That's, wow. Yeah. Wow. 
That's amazing. So you might have another reader, Donna. Wow, that's a lot of... I mean, I love to read, but I can't read so many books. <laughs> yeah, see, I'm telling you, she's for real. She's real. She's voracious in her reading. Yeah. <laughs> well, are you ready to read a snippet out of your book? Because I've been sitting here, and even though like I've read the book, I can't wait because it's coming from Donna. Let's do this. <laughs> <laughs> Absorption Vegas by Brooklyn Bourne and Devin Michelle Ramos. Um, chapter one is about Senator Davis. A man who seems to be very upset is pacing back and forth in the kitchen of his ranch style home. Do they really think they are going to do this to us and it's and it's going to be all right? All those involved, plus others, will pay the ultimate price for the BS red tape. He said out loud to an empty house as he continues pacing back and forth. He suddenly stopped pacing and sat down at the table, tapping his fingers with the facial expression of a person deep in thought. His expression changed like a great idea had just popped into his head. He got up, went to the pantry, grabbed a family-sized bag of plain potato chips, then goes to the refrigerator, retrieving a bottle of soda before heading downstairs to the basement. Using his background in physics, the disgruntled man stood at a table in the middle of his well-lit basement. Meticulously, he put together ingredients that will do something to the body that is so bizarre. There's not a single special effects person in the movie industry that could compare. He tested this process many times on rats, dogs, cats, birds, and lizards, and was successful each time. He then designed a dissolvable casing that would house the special ingredient in bullet form. Once the deadly bullets were made, he placed them in a small container before putting them in the deep freezer that was located in the corner of the basement. The soon-to-be serial killer walked across the room and opened a newspaper that was lying on the table. He picked it up, flipped through a couple of pages until he came upon a picture of California Senator Davis accompanied by statements about budget cuts. This guy doesn't think he can be touched, the man said to himself. Exactly one week from the date of making the first set of bullets, the upset man was about to carry out a shooting that would produce fear on a scale never known to the human race. With a cold heart and eyes filled with deep hatred, the serial killer in the making is about to see if his special bullets of death will do the damage they intended to do. Looking through a scope that was attached to the rifle, the man focused on Senator Davis as he approaches the podium to get his speech. He placed the crosshairs on the senator's left shoulder. With his right index finger, he slowly pulled the trigger back, launching the liquid-filled bullet to his target. A few seconds later, the senator called out in pain, grabbing a hold of his shoulder as blood trickled through his fingers. The senator has been shot, someone in attendance screamed out. As security rushed to the senator's aid, a black limousine came to a screeching halt 10 feet from where the senator was lying. Security shoved the senator into the limo, speeding away with a police escort to the nearest hospital. In the meantime, Part of the security detail and other law enforcement agencies frantically searched the area 
trying to locate the shooter. The senator was rushed straight into the operating room upon arrival. Get me some x-ray stat, the surgeon barks. Not breaking stride as they continue toward the operating room. Once in the operating room, the senator was being prepped when a nurse walks in to the chief surgeon with x-rays in hand and said, Doctor, the x-rays aren't showing any bullets. What do you mean? The x-rays aren't showing a bullet. There's no bullet inside of the senator's shoulder. They momentarily looked at each other, then back at the x-rays with a puzzled expression. Okay, let's treat him for this phantom gunshot wound, the chief surgeon replied. Welcome to WHDB News 11 at 11 at noon. I'm Sergeant Kirkpatrick, and I'm Marcy Alexander. Today's big story is the shooting of Senator Davis a week ago as he gave a speech at the Ritz-Carlton in downtown Los Angeles. The studio showed the newest footage of the senator getting shot during his speech. After the footage, the co-anchor went on to say, we have a crew on the scene. Nala White is at Mercy Mercy Hospital, where the senator is about to hold a press conference. Nala, what's going on? It looks like security is super tight. Good afternoon, Nancy and Sandra. Security here today is very tight. Just a week ago, Senator Davis was shot in the shoulder by an uh, unidentified gunman. Police say the shooter is still on the loose. The chief surgeon said when they took x-rays to locate the bullet, there were none and no sign of an exit wound. He also said whatever the senator was shot with didn't cause any damage to any major arteries. It only tore through flesh and muscle. The chief surgeon added, it's a mystery to all of us what happened to that bullet. It's also remarkable that Senator Davis is holding a press conference today. He just walked up to the podium standing by, the reporter said, relaying all available information to the studio and the viewing audience. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm holding this press conference to let the American people and my constituents know that I am fine but I am still recovering from an attempt on my life. This is a prime example of the need for the gun control bill I'm working on getting passed. People are so quick to pick up a gun to shoot others that are unarmed. I call these types of people punks. The media and their sources like to say these people have mental problems. Well, let me tell you, there are many people walking among us with mental issues and they are not out here shooting people. These people that shot me and countless others are nothing but cowards. I hope they catch him and take his freedom. Senator Davis, how could a gunman get close enough to shoot you and not get caught by the security detail that's around you? A reporter from the BBC asked. I will let the chief of police elaborate on that a little more. The chief of police stepped up to the microphone and podium. We looked at surveillance cameras in the area, and it showed no one in the immediate area approaching the senator. The shot had to be from a sniper a long distance away. This question is for the senator. Senator, what kind of bullet were you shot with that the doctors couldn't find it through the x-rays or MRIs? Another reporter asked. When Senator Davis leaned toward the microphone to respond, he collapsed as if he were falling apart. Some reporters gasped loudly as a few others, along with security, rushed toward the senator. One female reporter screamed as others stood in shock. 
from the horror their sight was projecting into their brains. Sounds of pictures being snapped and voices filled the room, while cameramen and soundmen were jockeying for the best position to film the senator's disfigured body. The senator had literally turned into a puddle of skin and muscle. All the bones in his body had disintegrated. Chapter 2, The L.A. Detective. Oh my gosh, that was so good. And that's why wow. I wanted you to read that part because that's like my favorite part. Can you believe that? So he thought he was okay. Everybody thought he was okay. Then he just dropped dead weeks later from the bullet. I love that. Oh a man. Week later, a week later. Can you believe that? Remember the bullet was in his body. Yeah. It never came out. There was no exit wound. Do you see why this is genius? Like a poison bullet. Yeah, it was like a poison bullet. That's even better than my idea of bullets with a name on it. I feel like this is bullets better. With the name on bullets it. with the name on it. Yeah, this is way better. Poison bullet is way better than bullets with the name on it. Yeah. It wasn't poison. It's an absorption bullet. And what happens to the body is that the body literally absorbs the bullet. That's amazing. Mm. And then remember, he used chemistry. Remember? Yeah. Chemistry and um, physics to make this mixture that he encased in the bullet so that once it hits the body, the body absorbs it and it never comes out. But now, whatever this mixture is, is running through the body. Yeah. Mm. And you can't, no one knows it's there. So no one tries to remove it and you can't anyway because once it's in the bloodstream, it goes through the whole body. And so with him, it took a week before it did all the damage it was going to do. And then he just dissolved into a puddle because it disintegrated all his bones. Isn't that amazing? Like, what do you think about these bullets? That's amazing, isn't it? I love it. Just taking it there, man. That's interesting. Yeah. Man, That's kind of sci-fi-ish. Yeah, it really is. And I was like, it's just this genius. And I'm like, well, Donna, can you tell everybody where they can get this book at? Because yeah, I got my copy, so I don't want anybody to like be jealous of me or anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, the whole series is on Amazon dot uh, com and also on Kindle Unlimited. Yeah, so please make sure you guys get that book so that well we'll have something to talk about. You guys will be on my level, right, Buddha? Hell yeah! <laughs> yes, this is awesome. And this is thank you for sharing that book because I know a lot of people are gonna go out and get it because it's different. It's like a different kind of book, you know. can't wait to still okay. read because i'm going to be reading part two and three and i'm like i can't wait to see who the killer is but i th- i already told you what my theory was which i'm not going to share it on this call but i i have a really good theory about what i think happened and i can't wait to see if i'm right that's going to be the best part about reading yeah the book. yeah i can't wait to see if you're right either yeah <laughs> awesome well, so we'll remind everybody at the end of the show again where to get the book and where to find you at and everything. But we wanted to go over a true crime article because you always send me true crime articles, and I really yeah. appreciate that. I know you, you like that, so yeah, I, I 
This is why Donna is my friend because like she really appreciates my true crime, you know, addiction and she actually like feeds into it by sending me articles and stuff that we can go over. Okay. And she always finds like really good articles. So we're going to be reading this article right now and this one actually makes me really mad, but we're going to talk about it. Oh. Okay. So a, me- a whole article? Yeah, it's an article. It's a true crime article that she sent over. Okay. A Mexican woman was sentenced to more than six years in prison after killing a man who raped her in 2021. According to the Associated Press, who the woman who the woman permitted to use her name, she was 23-year-old Roxana Ruiz. She was found guilty by the Mexico State Court of Homicide with excessive use of legitimate defense. Ruiz strangled her attacker with a shirt after he raped her. Prosecutors successfully argued that hitting the man in his head would have been enough to defend herself. Ruiz's lawyer, Angel Carrera, said that they would appeal the decision. It would be a bad precedent if this sentence were to hold, Carrera said. It's sending the message to women that you know what? The law says you could defend yourself, but only to a point. He raped you, but you don't have the right to do anything. Feminist organizations and those who advocate against gender-based violence criticized the verdict, which also comes with a fine of more than $16,000 that Ruiz must pay to her attacker's family. I regret what I did, but if I hadn't done it, I would be dead today, Ruiz told the AP last year. It's evident that the state wants to shut us up wants us to be submissive, wants us to be closed up inside, wants us dead. According to Carrera, police did not take a forensic exam after the rape two years ago. She said an officer told her that she probably wanted to have sex, then changed her mind. Ruiz spent nine months in jail before she was released to await trial. She is the mother of a four-year-old son. My son, I hope to see him again, she said. I hope to stay with him, to be the one who, who watches him grow up. That article made me mad because it's like, why do you have to be victimized twice? Yeah, like, so she got raped. She killed her attacker. Now she got to go to jail for six years. Like, I don't know. What do you guys think about this? Right. And if he had to kill her, he wouldn't have got no time. That's how it sounds. Because they, they already said, well, maybe she was going to have sex and changed her mind. So you're thinking of hypothetical stuff of what could have happened. Cause well, you really... The thing of it is, especially there's a male police officer. Yeah. You know, they, they automatically side with the man. And, you know, the thing is like, well, how do we know, you know, you didn't this and that and the other and but And like, I'm a victim. How dare you turn it on me? Right. I told you I was raped. I was raped. How dare you basically call me a liar and tell me it's, it's that, oh, you know, you wanted it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And now she got to be away from a little boy. I don't know. What do you think about this article, Buddha? I, I think, I do think that it's extreme to take you from your parent, your children. And it says it's not rape. It's a, it's. A hard call on saying whether it's the truth of it being or not, and if it's all the evidence is pointing to it not, number one, if she's the victim and she's the person that called and treated her like as such, yeah, we're in a country where you're innocent until proven guilty, right? You know, so only for some, yeah, yeah. right. But no, but I'm saying it's the rule though. That's what I'm saying. It's the we're guilty by just because of how we look. So uh, right, no, I, oh, I know if, that. If y'all, if y'all person of color, you're, you're just guilty, mm-hmm. right? prove you're not guilty. Yeah. That's how justice system working in, in America with all pays, okay? Yeah, yes. no, we know, yeah, we know that is the truth, but I'm saying it is written as the system yeah. that it's supposed to be, so let's flex that and be in what it's supposed to be. Right. So you can't sit here and put upon somebody 
when of course people are doing that and that's the corruption of it yeah but, that's why so many women don't come forward because they already know yeah i'm gonna get victimized again yeah they're gonna basically call me a slut and a whore yeah and say i sleep around and it's what i wanted mm. and the guy's not here to defend himself and all this kind of nonsense, and she gets victimized all over again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like, that's why so many people don't report it because for what? They already know. Right. And it's really sad. That's why I want to say right now, like justice for her. Like I really hope that like in appeals or somebody hopefully could come through and like overturn this because six years is so excessive. Six years. Her son is going to be ten years old. It's so traumatic. You know, this man attacked me. Yeah. Violently. Okay. He violently attacked my body, and you're telling me, oh. I didn't. You know, how are you going to tell people? Like, if this is a man and he done overpowered her, number one. Yeah. He done overpowered her to rape her. So, her adrenaline is, is, is just pumping now. Yeah. When she finally can get free of him, yeah, she's going to make sure she can he's incapacitated and can't come back to get her. Right. That's so, what I said, too. I would. That don't make sense because. You don't know if if, I, if what you did was enough to incapacitate the person. Yeah, you don't. You, you really don't. And, and two minutes later, they back on top of you. Yeah. So she's just scared. And she's just like, I got to make sure this man don't attack me again. Yeah. How are you going to say what isn't, isn't excessive when you're not in that position and you don't know what that person did to them and you don't know what's going through their mind? Yeah, and I don't like the a lot of the laws, what they say about like self-defense is, oh, well, you have to be in imminent danger. So he was done raping you, so you weren't in danger anymore. I don't agree with that. I just, no, I don't agree with that. Because, because he, the danger has, he's already perpetrated the danger. Yeah. So now, because he has perpetrated it, I'm not supposed to do nothing? Right. Ridiculous. I think that's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> Well, I think, I don't know, like, what we could do or if there's a petition that could be started, but I want to say right now, justice for Roxana Ruiz. She's 23 years old. She doesn't mm. need to be in there. And her son's only four years old. I mean, so she's going to miss his little kid life if she stays in there for six years. Right. What was that? The other girl, Centoya Brown. Yes, Centoya Brown. For how many years? She was in prison for 13 years, and we're going to go do her case. That was ridiculous. You know, oh. Yeah. Somebody violently raped somebody. Yeah, you want to kill him. You sound crazy. Like, right. That's not going to happen. Yeah, and Satoya Brown at that time was only 16 years old. So they, they had originally given her life. He not only raped her, she was a minor. He yeah. Was a, like, mm. there were so many things wrong with yeah. the whole thing. Mm-hmm. They still held her accountable, which is insane. I don't understand that at all. Yeah. Like, this justice yeah. system is so messed up. Like, I don't even understand where to start to even fix it. Right. Anything of color and it's skewed against women. Yeah. It's very simple. So unless you're a white male, forget it. Yeah. And mm. that's why we could have a whole nother episode on jury of your peers. I never think it's a jury of your peers. No, ever. Your peers never is. Yeah. And, 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 you know, for years, the juries were all white men. Mm-hmm. And then they finally started introducing women and some white women into it. And then with everybody saying, wait a minute, this still is not a jury of our peers. If you got Asian people, black people, Hispanic people, 
and you don't see not one of them on the jury. That's not a jury of the person's peers. Right. Right. So now when you see juries, if the last jury I was on, there was, okay, it's still always majority of white men. It really is, because it was like, I think six of them. And then it was a, a it was an older white lady. It was me. Well, I was the only black person on the jury. Yeah. Out of 12. And this was a little black boy that was 22. Yeah. I was, because I was going to, I had in my mind to go in there and tell them whatever so I could get out of jury duty. I really did. I was like, I do not want to be here. I'm like, I, uh, uh, I'm not doing this. Not in the mood. And then when I got in the courtroom and I saw who the defendant was, and I looked at the jury composition, I was like, Donnie, you have to stay. Mm. Yeah. Because you're the only chance this kid got. Yeah. And and that's amazing. Came down to me being the only chance he he had when we were in in the jury room. Well, and I think it's a shame because that's a prime example. Most juries don't want to be there, so we probably do need more juries of color. But this is why they was going to convict this kid. It was a Friday. We finished the trial on a Friday. They talking about, well, I don't want to come back Monday, so let's let's hurry up and vote something so we could go. Wait a minute, this child is in jail, and he's going to have to serve years in jail. It's not about what's convenient for you, like hello, right? Mm-hmm. But saying let's just get out let's just vote and get out of here so we don't have to come back monday i was like are y'all serious right now see that's a prime example and i don't even understand yeah why do we still use this jury system because nobody wants to be on the jury everybody does most people probably do that like i don't want to be here and the thing of it is like we should give actual compensation yeah for the city and the county i get paid for jury duty like i get my check like you know all I got to do is show my slip that I was really there, and I still get paid. A lot of people have jobs. They don't get paid for jury duty. Right. They there don't want to be on no trial for four or five weeks. Yeah. Yeah. And this is somebody's life. Freaking jury system give you $15 a day. What are you supposed to do with that? Right. Bro, can't even buy a sandwich. Can't buy nothing. McDonald's is bad past that now. Right. So, like, I can't miss a month pay. Okay. Yeah. So I just need to get out of here. And see, there's so many things, and then some people like me just don't want to be there. It didn't matter that I got paid. I just don't want to be there. Yeah. But when I saw him, I said, "Oh, you know, you're gonna have to suck it up and take it because you are this boy got." And that what it wound up being in the final analysis that I wound up having to sway. First, the vote was ten to two. Then I got it to eight to four. Then it was six. The six, and then finally it was um, ten to two again, the other way, and then finally the two white men that was oh, and then this one guy made himself the foreman. Nobody even voted him the foreman. He just took over. Yeah. I was, I was like, I'm sorry. You speaking for everybody? I'm sorry. Did I miss the vote? Because I don't remember nobody voting for you. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> when he just started. Well, we gonna do this, and we. I was like, no, excuse me, we ain't doing nothing, cause I ain't. Uh-uh, you ain't talking to me, right? I don't know how you just up and you taking control. And some of them, like the little older lady, she like she was scared of him. The same thing, you know me, my mouth go. I don't care, like I don't care who you are, homie. Mm, um, mm, mm. Yeah, no, we not. This not what we doing today. 
Well, and, I, and I'm glad because yeah, you... an angel in there that night. He and did. Nothing. Nobody voted you into nothing. You just jumped up and started. You know, he was out there telling people what to do. I was like, wait, excuse me? Oh my gosh, so when they did the not guilty verdict, tell everybody how that guy, like, took credit oh for it. <laughs> First place, we had set seats in the courtroom. Every time we left, we had to come back to the same seat and sit there. I don't know how this happened, but we go back to our seats. All of a sudden, this, this man that is taking everything in my power not to strangle him, Don't you? And so they admitted it, and they they basically took the rap for the guns. 
don't you think if he had a gun, they'd have been like, well, he got one too. Yeah. Don't you think they would have did that? So there's this, this gun, this arbitrary gun behind a door. The kid just walked in, so he ain't been there long enough to do nothing. He didn't even get to the bathroom. Yeah. But they're saying this arbitrary gun that they found was his. Because he was going to the bathroom. Well, he didn't even make it into the bathroom. Right. Right. So, basically, that could have been anybody in that room gun. How you know the little white girls ain't bringing in with them? Right. It could have been anybody's gun. So, and the kids told the police that kid had just got there. He didn't have no weapons. He didn't run with their crew. They told him all of that. Yeah. And he was still set in jail for three months until his child came up. Yeah, and that's the other thing with the whole bail. The poor and middle class people, they can't afford bail. They got to sit there. That's the other thing. in school, and so he done missed the whole semester now. Yeah. So the guy got real smart, and he said, well, I said it was his gun because he was the closest to it. I said he also had just literally walked into the room. So I said, I said okay, fine. You want to use your, your line of thought, which is flawed, but we're going to use it. I said, okay, so if you had walked to the bathroom and you hadn't got to the bathroom yet, but you were walking to the bathroom and they found a gun in there, is that your gun? He said, well, no, it's not my gun. If I didn't put it there, I said, okay, but if I said, I said, based on what you just said, if he was the closest to the gun, it was his, even though the gun was hidden, Okay. But if he's the closest to the gun, the gun is his, right? That's what you're saying. I said, so then if you just walked into the room and you're the closest to the bathroom, that's your gun. Mm-hmm. And then he stood up. And then, like I said, that's when we said, after I did that in the transcript, I said, don't make me bring out my law classes I had in college because I'm going to have to wipe the floor <laughs> on me. Oh. Yeah. Lord, don't play with me. I know a thing or two. It got so real. The kid, so we finally agreed that the child was not guilty because the evidence was circumstantial. They had nothing, no prints of his, nothing tying him to that gun, not one thing. Just because he was the closest to it, but it was hidden. It wasn't even out in plain sight. It was behind the door somewhere. So this fool, when they read that he wasn't guilty, the boy started sobbing. Like, I mean, sobbing. Like, you could hear him sobbing, okay? His little brother and his grandmother, they were all huddled in the, in the seats, sobbing. So, clearly, he's not a hardened criminal, okay? Do you know what that fool said to me sitting next to me? Damn. He said, yeah, look at that. We did the right thing. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Right. you told that story because that's a prime example and that's why the the justice system is scary because that's what goes on to juries all the time but like i said people will just vote so they can just go yeah they don't even care and it's terrible because that boy would wind up spending years in jail yeah he was facing years damn he's already served three months yeah but he would have had 
willing to go back and stay for years. Yeah. For something he didn't do because he was in the wrong place at the wrong time and didn't listen to his grandma. Yeah. He told him that boy ain't no good. <coughs> trouble. Don't hang out with him. Yeah. So he tells the grandmother he won't. But when the grandmother and the little brother went to sleep, he snuck out the house. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Don't hang with them. You know. Well, I would like to think that kid is somewhere thriving right now, and he went to college. And... Yes, he was so happy. It made me so happy. Mm-hmm. And his kid was and named LeBron James. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he said, and this kid was named LeBron James. <laughs> no, it, wasn't that, it wasn't that long ago. It was like maybe, I don't know, five years ago. It wasn't that long ago. Oh. <laughs> you know, it just shows you how people get railroaded. Yeah. I'm so glad because people needed to hear that. People are in jail saying they're innocent. So many of them are. Yeah. So many of them are. Yeah. Circumstance, you know? So, yeah. Well, this has been so wonderful. I really appreciate you coming, like, on the show and stuff, Donna. Can you tell everybody where to find you, where to find your wonderful books and everything like that? Well, uh, my books are on, like I said, Amazon.com. Um and they're also on Kindle and uh, Kindle Unlimited and also my website which is um, www.donnamichelleramos.com and Michelle is with one L M-I-C-H-E-L-E so my books are on there I have lots of uh, book related products on there Uh, my series Chocolate in the City has a lot of merchandise beach towels, t-shirts all that kind of stuff, coffee mugs on there and then there's also gift sets for little kids because I wrote a, a kids book called Gift Diary not quite so um, you guys get a chance check out the website yay okay send me an email <laughs> and um, thanks for listening oh this is great well next week we are going to be covering the story of Jennifer Pan which is the girl who uh, set up her parents to be killed because their expectations was too high of her so we're gonna daughters who's killing parents yeah. that's gonna be our new name of our goddamn show oh my gosh and once you. again it happened again that right it happens again I'm telling you you are on the top of life you got a daughter she's already going to high school <laughs> get a gun oh my gosh <laughs> well if you guys want to follow the show Instagram hot garbage show send us a Gmail and let us know you know any cases that you may want us to cover and it's hot garbage news at gmail.com join our discussion group at on Facebook it is a hot garbage show and TikTok author Nisha you have anything else Buddha not yet I will once again send out the announcement of we get 5,000 followers, you guys. I will put myself out on social media. Yay. Well, in the meantime, take care and watch your back out there.